And here we are again with the season four of the Data Science at Home podcast. This time we have something for you. If you want to help us shape the data science leaders of the future, we have created the Data Science at Home's Ambassador program. Ambassadors are volunteers who are passionate about data science and want to give back to our growing community of data science professionals and enthusiasts. You will be instrumental in helping us achieve our goal of raising awareness about the critical role of data science in cutting-edge technologies. If you want to learn more about this program, visit the Ambassadors page on our website at datascienceathome.com. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the office of Amethyx Technologies based in Brussels City. In this episode, we speak about autonomous driving and uh, self-driving cars. And as always, try to explain a realistic picture of what's going on in the world of self-driving cars and uh, uh, the challenges that, uh, of course, engineers have to face on a daily basis in that particular sector. As a matter of fact, the uh, vast majority of uh, self-driving you know, companies, and of course you are already thinking about the only one uh, that you think makes uh, self-driving vehicles. Um, but in fact, there are many, many also that already shut down. Um, they are essentially throwing a lot of money uh, in research and development and still haven't cracked the problem. So, uh, in fact, nobody uh, at date has come with a solution that actually can drive a car uh, in an urban setting, a highway, and, and a mix of, of both, or, or off-road, etc. So, you know, in realistic situations and scenarios in which humans are, are driving, uh, there is no technology as we speak at date um, that can fix that problem, can drive a car safely and reliably. No matter how much money they are throwing at the problem, uh, the problem is, in fact, very challenging. And also there has been a lot of uh, you know, noise and marketing. Uh, and again, probably uh, many of you know already who I'm referring to, uh, but uh, that problem hasn't been solved, right? Regardless of what is written on Twitter or in PR and news and, and the marketing aspects is something that we, are ne- we have never been interested in on this show. Uh, we are interested in the challenges in the engineering part and the technological challenges that uh, one has to face in order to solve problems of this caliber. So why is the problem uh, difficult? Well, the problem is difficult because um, it is multifold in a way. Um, you know, uh, so far, uh, self-driving companies, uh, well, companies that manufacture or, or design self-driving cars, rely on uh, pre-computed maps uh, of the road, right? Uh, and also rely heavily on GPS signals, uh, on top of which, of course, there are a lot of uh, uh, handwritten rules and uh, handcrafted rules that are usually uh, created by engineers in order to cover uh, more or less all you know, corner cases. So of course, if you have, if you're driving a car on a straight road without traffic, without other obstacles, uh, you know the problem can be relatively easy, easily be fixed with uh, a bunch of cameras and some other sensors like lidar, usually, uh, and even GPS, uh, GPS signal. You know that would be sufficient, in fact, if 
you are under ideal conditions of having <laughs> no other cars and a pretty nice and straight uh, road, which is never the case, of course. Um, you know, driving in a urban setting is orders of magnitude more challenging and more difficult for uh, not only for for a computer, but especially even for for human beings. You know, majority of the accidents um, happen uh, in uh, in urban settings rather than uh, highways, unless you know extreme cases. Um, now, the reason is that the real world is full of corner cases, uh, and that's the problem, because uh, the corner case is in fact the rule rather than the exception. So it's kind of an, an oxymoron calling a corner case that is uh, you know, quite common. And so the fact that current technology cannot deal with all possible corner cases is because the way uh, engineers deal with corner cases today or so far have been dealing with, um, is by handcrafting rules. And, though, and so this means that, uh, you know, you have uh, a bunch of rules, can be hundreds, can be thousands, uh, kind of an if-then-else uh, block of code that uh, try to, tries to fix uh, or provide a solution for that particular situation. Now, of course, it's also true that uh, deep neural networks are, uh, you know, have been providing solutions and, and kind of outperforming humans in many uh, areas, in many sectors. Um, but uh, still, that doesn't mean that neural networks or deep learning are the technology of choice uh, or are the technology, the only possible technology that one might consider for, uh, you know, crafting and uh, uh, self-driving vehicles. Uh, it's true, of course, that uh, collecting data has become you know, much easier, uh, usually much faster. Data, especially machine-generated data, um, are also already you know, uh, in very good shape. So they don't usually need heavy transformations or data cleaning uh, because the collection phase has improved in the years. Um, and it's also true that you know, we have seen many uh, sectors or problems solved um, greatly by deploying technology. For example, speech synthesis, uh, machine translation, or uh, NLP, uh, video games, uh, speech recognition, and uh, of course the uh, the latest buzzword about uh, you know art or generative art and all that stuff. Deep learning is good at solving uh, challenges and, and tasks that are kind of narrow of a narrow domain. Um, as much as you might think that speech recognition and speech synthesis and video games and machine translation are, you know, big, massive problems, uh, think twice, because a video game, for example, is not really an open world. You know, the maps in a video game can be enormous, of course, but still finite uh, and still under control uh, for an algorithm or for uh, a bunch of GPUs. So, the open world is, um, in fact, uh, a different story. And uh, open world problems are, uh, you know, difficult by definition, are, are just of a different type. Um, and in those cases, we have seen many times that, um, especially in healthcare, uh, that the presence of training data, that is the probably only possible way to uh, train a, a neural network, uh, at least to the best of my knowledge, uh, is that the training data approach might be wrong in, you know, for, this, for these problems. Uh, because you will always have a corner case 
for which you didn't have training data when it was time to train your, your model. And so uh, since it is impossible to enlist all in exhaustively uh, all possible corner cases, that means that uh, you will never be in a situation in which you, uh, you have 100% of the data that cover your particular use case or the case for which you are providing predictions. This is true, for example, uh, or much likely for a video game or for a closed world problem for which you can, in fact, have a list of you know, training data uh, that uh, are complete enough to describe the world that you are providing predictions for. Now, what are the steps when you want to drive a car? Well, if you are a human, of course, that comes, uh, it, it's quite hard to enlist what are the things that you do, uh, the tasks that you do when, when you're driving your car. Uh, because you know that it's so automatic in our brain that uh, we have to make an effort to understand okay what am i doing uh, what you know i'm looking at the road and then what i'm looking at probably the lane uh, in the center oh shit i'm in the center i should go a bit to the to the right or to the left depending which country i'm driving what else um, i have to estimate the depth of uh, of the next car the car in front of me and depth is like a kind of a distance between my car or well the beginning of my car and uh, uh, the end of the of the car in front of me uh, or if there is some you know other obstacle that is probably moving like a pedestrian crossing the street so i have to estimate all these distances right and I have to do that in real time multiple times in a second um, what else do I need? Well, I need to plan my to, to plan my path. Uh, in fact, because uh, I have to understand where I'm going, and uh, uh, not so much in the long term. You know, I have to calculate or estimate what is the next point I want to bring my car uh, onto. Uh, and finally, I have to control my car, uh, which means that I have to give gas, I have to brake, I have to steer, uh, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of you know, the vehicle control. So what I'm saying is that, you know, these are kind of the steps that a human being performs uh, automatically without that much thinking, in fact, uh, while uh, he or she is driving a car. And that's exactly what an algorithm should be doing, right? Um, now, the problem is that algorithms don't have eyes, they have cameras, uh, and algorithms don't have you know, a brain, <laughs> a human brain. So they have sensors. And of course, they have a bunch of code that puts together these sensors, uh, you know, the data coming from these sensors and decides what to do. So there is the, the path planning part is the, the part that occurs, the task that occurs after so-called sensor fusion most of the time, which is uh, fusing, uh, you know, what all the sensors that have aboard of the car, uh, of the vehicle, um, uh, what they are saying about the world, or the environment around me and then decide you know fuse them in a way a weighted sum or any other uh, mathematical formula that you might think of uh, and essentially takes action which means well planning your path and then controlling the vehicle towards that path right now the input of this pipeline is usually uh, rgb images uh, okay so images that come from a, a camera and uh, uh, these cameras, of course, can be high-definition cameras, can be depth cameras, uh, usually called RGBD, D stands for depth. Uh, there are special cameras that also provide you with, um, you know, information about the depth uh, of the objects that are 
uh, in the frame. Uh, and then, of course, the output uh, of the control algorithm is um, an angle of where how to steer the the the, uh, the motors, in fact, that are uh, that are connected to, for example, the pedals or uh, directly to the engine, or usually as it comes for as it happens for new generation cars, all this stuff is electronic. So uh, you know there is the actuator doesn't really go on wire anymore. Uh, but it goes in a, uh, you know, in a hub uh, that controls the motor uh, electronically. But that doesn't change. You know, the principle is exactly the same. I have to decide of how much I have to steer or push the pedals or release the pedals and so on and so forth. When it comes to uh, images, uh, there are many options there. And um, in, uh, in a previous episode, I also discussed some of the decisions by Tesla to remove completely the LiDAR sensor in favor of the uh, high resolution cameras. So the RGB signal only. And uh, while they did that for, you know, as a matter of aesthetics on the car, uh, which is kind of, you know, understandable, uh, having a LiDAR um, device on the car is pretty ugly and kind of weird. But in fact, it's, you know, effective because what the LiDAR can do is providing uh, information about the 3D space uh, in three dimensions. So um, it's something that already calculates uh, because it works like a radar uh, just with light. Um, it, it gives you a, a point cloud of the environment around the device uh, with all the distances where these points are, right? And so what you can you know, infer is that you can, first of all, detect objects around you. Not only that, but you can also uh, calculate, well, measure, in fact, you don't need to calculate. It's, it's measure, it's a measure, uh, the distances of where these objects are around you. And all this can happen multiple times in a second, which means that these objects can also move. So it's dynamic uh, objects that are not only recognized, but also measured in real time where they are or where the vehicle is with respect to, uh, you know, to these obstacles. Now, if we remove the LiDAR uh, and we keep only uh, images, uh, we don't solve the problem. Actually, we make it much more difficult because we would have a 2D image, um, but we need 3D information. So we need information in the 3D space. And so what engineers and researchers have been doing in the last period is, okay, how can we, you know, estimate the 3D dimensions or the 3D coordinates from uh, an image, right? Which is a much more challenging problem. Um, as I said, if you have LIDARs uh, on, the, on the vehicle, you would have this information, you know, for free. You don't need to, to calculate anything. It's there. Um, or as an alternative, you might be using double cameras or multiple cameras and by knowing where these cameras are with respect to each other, uh, you can you know, apply uh, some you know, optics principles and calculate the depth a bit of something that happens all the time with us. You know, that's why we have two eyes. <laughs> it's because we can calculate, we have stereoscopic vision, which means that we can calculate depth by, in fact, our brain does that. But by having two eyes, you can uh, you know, watch the same object from two uh, different positions and of course, understand or estimate the depth of where that object is. Now, of course, our brain is not uh, amazingly good at measuring very, very accurately where objects are around us, 
but we have a good feeling if they are close, far, very close, uh, you know, and understand, you know, if they are approaching uh, or if they are um, approaching in, in, in very fast or very slow and so on. So we can understand these things. And that's pretty much what might be happening on a car, uh, self-driving car, in, in case it, it had, for example, two or multiple cameras. But of course, having two cameras means that you have double or more uh, the computation. And so most of the time, this is, you know, this number of cameras become prohibitive uh, in, from a computational perspective. And now let me tell you something important. Cyber criminals are evolving. Their techniques and tactics are more advanced, intricate, and dangerous than ever before. Industries and governments around the world are fighting back unveiling new regulations meant to better protect data against this rising threat. Today, the world of cybersecurity compliance is a complex one, and understanding the requirements your organization must adhere to can be a daunting task. But not when the pack has your back. Arctic Wolf, the leader in security operations, is on a mission to end cyber risk by giving organizations the protection, information, and confidence they need to protect their people, technology, and data. Their new interactive compliance portal helps you discover the regulations in your region and industry and start the journey toward achieving and maintaining compliance. Visit arcticwolf.com slash data science to take your first step. That's arcticwolf.com slash data science. If the positions of the cameras uh, change um, all of a sudden because of vibrations or because of whatever happens on the car, you know, you would have that stereoscopic property uh, failing miserably just because the two cameras have moved even slightly with respect to each other. So there is an approach, uh, you know, another solution that engineers have been, um, you know, uh, considering, which is um, the so-called flat, flat ground assumption. So uh, essentially by uh, knowing the camera geometry and uh, assuming that uh, the ground is flat, uh, you would uh, be able of, in fact, calculate or mapping uh, the pixels on the image to uh, an estimate of the depth uh, of where that particular object in the frame is in the real world, right? But of course, you know, the assumption, the flat ground assumption is pretty strong uh, because the ground is never flat. Uh, and so but it works under only, you know, a subset of all possible conditions that you might have on the road. Uh, not only that, there is another problem that um, uh, vibrations, you know, cars have engines and engines vibrate or bumps on the road, you know. So uh, these vibrations essentially can make um, uh, two consecutive frames um, fluctuate in a way or diverge from each other. Uh, due to the vibration, so it's it's a uh, it's a perturbation that you would add to the two consecutive frames, and uh, since um, algorithms are using uh, image frames uh, in order to predict, for example, the la the lane line of the road, uh, having two consecutive frames that have been perturbed means that uh, also the predicted line uh, fluctuates, <laughs> and that's that could be a problem. Why? Because when it's time to project onto 3D space uh, this um, pre predicted line, uh, you are also propagating the fluctuation uh, in, onto 3D space as well, right? And this means that the, the estimated depth that you uh, have calculated 
uh, will uh, will be affected by these vibrations or these perturbations. Um, and what happens in turn is that uh, you know when it's time to send the decision to the uh, to the actuator, so controlling the vehicle. In fact, the controller will also fluctuate in the final decision how to uh, you know send information to the motors, how to move, to brake, to steer, or to give gas, right? Uh, and of course, you know, in that case, you would have a, a driving, uh, a self-driving car that is uh, as an unstable controller, or the controller can be unstable, and that can also be dangerous. Uh, that's why you know there is a, a very mature mathematical method uh, that is goes under the name of uh, Kalman filters, and they they are actually coming to the rescue here because what Kalman filters do, and again these are things that are used over and over uh, in uh, control theory, but also uh, not only in, in, in uh, self-driving cars, but also in space applications. Carmel filters in engineering are uh, pretty much everywhere. Um, because they, uh, what they do is smoothening the, the prediction, in fact. In this case, the, is the lane detection, right? So the outputs um, f- that come out of the estimator uh, essentially will be subject to a perturbation, but the fact that there is a common filter on top, uh, you know, we tend to smoothen uh, these uh, pr- predictions, these estimations from consecutive frames. And so we would have a much nicer, uh, you know, lane prediction, uh, predicted lane, which is much smoother and almost uh, free of irregularities and, uh, and perturbations. Now, of course, common filters um, are based on another assumption, which is uh, it can be pretty strong, depending on your scenario, um, because they rely on the presence of so-called white noise. Uh, So white noise is uncorrelated noise. So that's what common filters want to deal with. (laughs) They want to deal with noise that is uncorrelated. Now, this is almost always true. Uh, not always, of course. There are situations in which noise is n- not independent uh, or not uncorrelated from a statistical point of view. But most of the time, that's that's okay. You know, it's okay to think that wi- uh, noise is white. Um, what is not okay is that, and that's the second assumption of uh, of common filters, is that the covariances of such noise are perfectly known to the engineer. Uh, before the prediction or before the estimation and that's of course you know a strong assumption that's almost never the case you can have a good estimation a good approximation of these covariances of 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 the noise but not calculate that in uh, you know in an exact way uh, at runtime um so you know this is where in fact using a kalman filter works until it doesn't uh sometime it fails uh, and that's a problem as well. So I'm I'm trying to you know uh, showing you what are the challenges you know the engineering challenges and these are not things that are uh, you know known since the last ten years or or so. These are you know concepts that are very very mature in mathematics and statistics. So uh, control theory is a very very old um, uh, topic and subject. So. Uh, if someone comes to you and says, I've, I solved the problem of self-driving, uh, you know, don't believe because <laughs> these are things that are not possible to solve, at least not with this technology, in my opinion. 
But more on that later. Let's continue that conversation uh, about common filters. Well, so common filters is limited, can be limited when the assumptions no longer hold. White noise and uh, coherence is perfectly known. Um, that's why uh, there are, you know, uh, situations in which you can leverage another important concept uh, that that applies, which is the fact that, um, you know, you have temporal dependency between any two frames, right? Um, I'm saying frames because we're discussing about an RGB camera, but think about it as any other sensor aboard vehicle, uh, you know, you collect a data point at a particular timestamp, then the next timestamp you collect another data point and so on. There is a temporal dependency uh, in these measurements, right? Um, and of course, you know, there is temporal dependency in a video stream. Every frame depends on the frame immediately uh, preceding the, 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 the current frame, right? And probably, you know, the pre preceding the previous let's say two, three seconds of a frame, uh, unless when you have uh, changes of scene. Uh, but if you are you know, filming a landscape or uh, having you know, the first person view, imagine of a car driving or you walking on the street or in a, in, a, in a land, right? What you see is what you saw three seconds ago. That was what you saw three seconds before and so on and so forth. So if you are under a 25, FPS frames per second. This means that you know the the previous twenty five frames are very much correlated, right? Um, so there is a lot of temporal dependency uh, in all the frames that you are you know in the way you look at the road as you walk, and the same happens for a car, you know, just at as a, at a different pace, a different speed. But that's exactly what happens. So the idea of many engineers is like, okay, if there is temporal dependency, and you know, how can we leverage that? Because learning that there is a temporal dependency means that I know the context where uh, I am collecting that frame. So that frame uh, that comes from my RGB camera is not out of context. It's actually pretty much correlated with what uh, I was watching or was viewing uh, two, three seconds ago. And that happens also for all the sensors uh, aboard the car. Um, so instead of using, for example, Kalman filter, one can use GRUs, uh, gated recurrent units, which are kind of the backbone of, uh, uh, you know, uh, long short-term memory uh, network, LSTM, right? Uh, just with a forget gate, so you can, uh, you know, trigger the, uh, in fact, you can expand or, or shrink the context where each particular data point belongs to. Uh, you know, think about uh, LSTM, how they worked very well for uh, NLP, for phrases where a word was put into a context of, you know, the context of the phrase, of the sentence, or the paragraph, depending how far in the past you want to go. And that's pretty much the same that, you know, could be exploited uh, in, in this case, in the case of uh, watching the road uh, with, uh, you know, temporal dependent frames. How one would proceed with, um, you know, building the algorithm that actually uh, solves the problem of self-driving cars? Well, of course, if you rely heavily on deep learning or solely on deep learning, I don't want to be in that car, honestly, um, because uh, deep learning alone is just one possible technology to perform estimations about something. 
but not necessarily the only technology. Uh, so I don't want you know to leave this misunderstanding of oh deep learning can can fix cancer, can detect cancer, can 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 detect fraud. So can generate art. So wow, for sure it can drive a car. That's easier. No, that's actually a very misleading statement and actually a very wrong one. Um, because there are several tasks that one has to you know go uh, through uh, when it comes to self-driving or collecting uh, RGB frames. It's just the beginning. What you need to do after is, uh, of course, um, you know, leveraging some sort of semantic segmentation uh, that um, essentially converts the pixel level information into some curves, right? Because that's exactly what you want to predict. It's a, it's a lane that you want to predict, as we said, uh, you know, want to predict the lane or to detect the lane in order to position your car to the right or to the uh, left um, or to the center. Uh, then you want to estimate the depth of where other cars or other obstacles are. Uh, and you need to drive that vehicle in the 3D space, right? But you don't have a 3D camera. You have one RGB camera, right? Among other things. So what you start with is segmenting the image, converting the pixel level information into uh, curve parameters. And then uh, you apply you know, what mathematicians have been doing for like probably the past century, which is regression, right? So predicting its curve regression, in fact, predicting the parameters that of the curve that best approximates uh, the estimated curve, right? That's what you want to do. Um, and then, of course, on that curve, uh, you can uh, estimate the depth. Uh, so there is no more flat ground assumption because you can... Uh, already reason in 3D space, in an estimated 3D space, uh, after you have uh, performed curve regression. Now, in order to simplify the problem, and again, this is a simplification for, for you know, a computational simplification, right? Uh, what you want to do is essentially inject some prior knowledge in, in the mix. Uh, what is the prior knowledge? Well, when you look at the lane, um, what do you expect? what type of curve is going to be? Well, it's going to be a curve, I don't know, second degree polynomial. Um, third degree would be already a, a quite steep curve. <laughs> um, a, you know, probably a, a Formula One track goes with those, you know, uh, elbow curves and, and curvature that is very high. But usually uh, in urban settings and also in uh, uh, on the highway, for example, uh, you would have a pretty regular uh, lane, at least in the short term. Uh, so this means that you can leverage that information as well. So that's called prior knowledge. The prior knowledge related to the shape of that curve. So that your problem, your mathematical problem, is not going to be, I have to predict the shape and the parameters that, you know, that regulate that shape, right? The parameters of that curve. But I can say, okay, assuming that the curve is going to be a parabola or whatever. What are the, the parameters that regulate that parameter, that approximate with a minimal error what I'm watching now from the camera, right? That's the problem, uh, which is much simpler than uh, starting from scratch, which is estimating the shape of the curve and then the parameters. I can inject the prior knowledge and say, okay, on this road, I assume um, that the you know the curve that best estimates 
this uh, street until the next data point uh, is, for example, a straight line, um, and so on and so forth. And so the only thing I have to do if it's a straight line is, for example, uh, uh, you know, learning the or estimating the angular coefficient of that curve, and I'm good to go. So I would have that information, that estimation in 3D, in 3D space, uh, and I would essentially start driving my car in 3D space directly, right? Um, so that's kind of a trick. In my opinion, it can work definitely better than, um, you know, estimating things with deploying, understanding where things are, um, and, you know, trying to drive the vehicle uh, according to what my sensors are saying at each single time step, because that could have, as we, as we saw, some, you know, uh, divergence or some perturbation that would uh, mess up the entire estimation. Now, with this said, of course, there are engineering solutions to, to these problems. But what I'm trying to say in this show is that the problem of self-driving cars is not solved. And I'm quite sure it's not going to be solved in the immediate future uh, for many reasons. We have seen how difficult this problem is. Uh, it's an open world problem, which is, um, you know, pragmatically different than, than the problems that neural networks have been used for, for example, video games and closed world problems like, you know, estimating the probability of the next word in a context or in a phrase. It's not as difficult as driving a car uh, where, uh, moreover, other humans are driving. So there are a lot of factors there. Um, even in a, the ideal uh, scenario in which uh, all humans drive safely, they respect the rules, they respect street signs, uh, nobody crosses the street with a red light, um, you know, everyone is respectful of the other, everyone respects the speed limit, and so on and so forth. Even in those ideal conditions, driving would be extremely difficult for an algorithm. Now, imagine when you are driving in the, I would say, not so ideal, I would say actually a realistic condition, which is uh, the conditions in which people fuck up <laughs> or cannot drive or they panic or they simply don't respect street signs or they speed too much um, and so on and so forth. So in these cases, these are all corner cases and uh, managing all possible corner cases is uh, theoretically possible. Unfortunately, only theoretically. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.